You're listening to Warsaw Evangelical Presbyterian Church's podcast. We'd love to worship with you today. Today's message comes from Senior Pastor Aaron Klein. You know, as we get started together this morning, I at least need to uh, share something with you. And I, this is going to come as, as quite a shock. And so I, I do not want to, uh, to burst your bubble in any way, but I at least need to share with you uh, a secret. And the secret is this. I'm not perfect. I know, I know, it's shocking, right? Though my wife and children, right, may try to tell me that I am. <laughs> Though sometimes uh, as a congregation, you may want to put me on a pedestal. Uh, the reality is that I am a sinner that is saved by grace, just like every single one of us. I think too often we see in our culture, we see uh, pastors and priests who have fallen and who have placed blemishes uh, on the life of the church by the actions, by the things that they do, and by the things that they say. And we see the effects within the culture in which we live. We recognize that every pastor and every priest is imperfect. But that should not be an excuse for bad behavior or for poor behavior. Now, as Andrew has already mentioned, with today being Mother's Day, I, I want to address all the women of the church, and I'm going to say this to you in the most pandering way. You are perfect, right? We recognize that on this day as we gather together, as we try to place you on a pedestal, of course we recognize that even you would not necessarily want to be placed on that pedestal. As, as Pastor Andrew has already mentioned, you know, for some of us, we have fond memories of the women that God has placed in our lives. And for others of us, maybe we look back and we think that we perhaps haven't had the best motherly examples. Maybe for some of us, there are regrets, the way in which we have lived and raised our own children. Maybe we look back and there's things upon which we might regret. And I think when we think about this, what we have to understand is I can remember women in the past when sometimes on a day like today, we, we talk about Proverbs 31, and, and I've had women say to me, I actually, I hate that passage. Because they say, we hear it on Mother's Day, and the truth is, I feel like I can't live up to that ideal. And so I, on a day like today, where I feel I'm supposed to be celebrated, I actually feel that imperfection perhaps more than ever. And the, the reason that I say this is because as we continue through our sermon series on the book of Hebrews, we're actually going to be spending a lot of time today talking about the difference uh, between imperfection and perfection. And when we think about this specifically, the imperfection of human beings, but the perfection of Christ, right? The imperfection of the earthly priests, but the perfection of our heavenly priest, who is Jesus Christ. The imperfection of the previous covenants, but the perfection of the permanent covenant that we have 
in Jesus Christ. Now, even as I make that statement, I, I realize that I probably need to clarify something. Uh, I don't want you to hear this, and I don't, I don't believe I'm saying this, and I don't believe that the writer of Hebrews is saying this, is that it's not that there was anything inherently bad about what had come before. What he's trying to say is that God has always intended that the way you have practiced your faith before, the, the rituals and the sacrifices and the things that have come before, it was always God's plan to give us something better. And that better is Jesus Christ. It's built on the ancient foundation of Judaism, but it's been supplanted by Jesus Christ. So I want to invite you, if you've brought your Bibles, to open them up. We're going to be studying together Hebrews chapter 7. We studied together verses 1 to 10 last week, and today we're going to be continuing on in verses 11 to 28. We certainly could have taken all of this last week, but it just felt like there was too much for us to try to unpack in one single week. I think what we're going to find is that this week really picks up and explains what the writer of Hebrews was uh, saying in verses 1 to 10. Of course, you're going to be able to follow along on the screen behind me. But what I want to do is I want to give you at least four different uh, things for us to keep in mind as we are turning to our scripture passage this morning. And as we read this together, think about these things. First of all, it's not that the law of Moses was wrong in and of itself. What we're going to find is he says it was ultimately weak and it was useless. It was unable to cleanse us from our sins. This is why it needed to be changed. You're going to see this in verse 12 when we talk about because the priesthood had changed, that the law needed to be changed. You're going to see it again. Uh, in verse 19, when it reminds us that the law could not make anything perfect and that there was a better hope that was introduced in Jesus Christ. The Old Testament, the old laws, they were appropriate for that time. They were necessary prior to the coming of Christ, but ultimately it was fundamentally flawed. It was weak and it was powerless against sin. It couldn't cleanse us from our sins. It couldn't erase the guilt of our sins. It couldn't prevent people from continuing to sin. And it's going to lay out for us and document for us. All the law could really do was document the ways in which you had fallen short. And Hebrews 10 is going to unpack that even more. So that's one thing to keep in mind. Another thing to keep in mind is this, that it's not that the covenant that God made with Abraham was false. It's that it was superseded by a better covenant. You're going to hear this in verses 21 and 22 when it says that Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. It's not that God is just making adjustments to the covenant that he had made with Abraham and with the people of Israel. It's not just that God is kind of instituting a new order of priests. It's not just that he's eliminating the temple sacrifices, what we're going to see is God fundamentally transformed the way in which he relates to us 
through the new covenant that we have in Jesus Christ. The third thing that I hope we see is this argument, right? It's not that he's arguing that our prior hopes were false, but he's saying now you have a better hope. You have a better hope. Verse 19 is going to make this clear that, there, that the previous ceremonial cleansings, they were temporary, and they needed to be replaced by something that was more permanent, by an actual cleansing of our sin that was going to be accomplished once and for all by Jesus Christ. There is a better hope that's in Jesus, instead of maybe feeling like we've been kept at arm's length, that through Jesus Christ, as we're going to see today, we can approach the throne of God. And then fourth, I want you to listen for the way in which the author argues that it's not that the Old Testament priesthood was invalid, but that it was limited, and it was ultimately powerless to do what? Due to the mortality and the sinfulness of the priests to ever fully wash away our sins. And so these are the themes that we're going to be hearing about together today. Now, I asked Pastor Andrew, this is something that I threw at him this morning when I just knew my voice was what it was. I said, Pastor Andrew, would you be willing to come and read the scripture for us together this morning? And so Andrew's going to come up, and I invite you to turn with us together as we read together verses 11 to 28. If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, and indeed the law given to the people established that priesthood, why was there still need for another priest to come, one in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron. For when the priesthood is changed, the law must be changed also. He of whom these things are said belonged to a different tribe, and no one from that tribe has ever served at the altar. For it is clear that our Lord descended from Judah, and in regard to that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. And what we have said is even more clear. If another priest like Melchizedek appears, one who has become a priest, not on the basis of a regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. For it is declared, you are a priest forever, in the order of Melchizedek. The former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless, for the law made nothing perfect, and a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. Others became priests without any oath, but he became a priest with an oath when God said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. Now, there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. 
Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law anoints as high priests men in all their weakness, but the oath which came after the law appointed the Son who has been made perfect forever. Amen. As, as we were standing here this morning, I, I remember uh, when we lived in St. John, there was a church that sometimes you could watch those services online. I think it was in Hammond. And uh, I was thinking about that now all of a sudden. That pastor used to always wear a bow tie. And there would be another gentleman who would stand next to him. And while he would preach, he'd be like, give me that passage. Give me that passage. And, you know, all of a sudden, and he would just be flipping back and forth. And so, Andrew, you could just be up here flipping back and forth through scriptures. And then I'd be like, all right, let's do this then instead. So uh, it just reminded me of that this morning. But thank you so much. I remember when I was in junior high and uh, was at... uh, Independence Junior High. On Mondays, uh, we would often gather together around the lunch table. And if we had been allowed to watch Saturday Night Live Saturday nights, we would end up sitting there and talking about uh, what we had seen. And I can remember when we were in junior high, uh, one, of the, one of the skits that was very, very popular was uh, the skit Hans and Franz. Remember? You know, there's that picture, right? You know, you've got these two guys, right? And they're talking about all the time, the cousin Arnold, right? And what was their famous line? Well, he'll to pump you up, right? And the, the funny thing about this is, uh, I mean, it is so obviously fake, right? These guys that are in these gray sweatsuits, and uh, they, they have these fake muscles on underneath. And everybody kind of laughs along because you recognize it is so absurd and it is so over the top that you can't help but laugh along. And the reason I got thinking about that this week is because last week we were talking about Melchizedek and how Melchizedek wasn't the real thing, but he was a foreshadowing of something that was better. And I I thought about these characters, people who, you know, yeah, they walk around and everybody, you know, heal me now and believe me later when I say this to you, right? And the point that they would probably be saying is, as much as they were preparing the way for their cousin Arnold Schwarzenegger to come, right? Melchizedek is doing the same thing. He he is saying, look, I, I am but a foreshadowing of Christ, who is better, who is to come. And if you remember, we talked about the fact that Melchizedek's name means what? King of righteousness. And he lives in this city, Salem, Jerusalem, the king of peace. So his name meant king of righteousness and king of peace. And what's amazing is that he is a priest and a king who is living in Jerusalem long before the establishment of the Davidic lines of kings. He's living in Jerusalem long before the establishment of the priestly line of Aaron. And what we find is that he is a priest who has been directly appointed.
appointed by God, but a priest who is also a king. And what we said is, there's only one person who is truly the priest and the king, and he is Jesus Christ. As good as Melchizedek was, he was just a foreshadowing of something that was better. The true righteousness and the true peace that we have in Jesus Christ. And so the argument that he begins to lay out in verses 1 to 10 is now explained in verses 11 to 28. And he begins in verse 11 by saying this. He asks some questions. If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, and indeed the law given to people established that priesthood, why was there still need for another priest to come? One in the order of Melchizedek and not in the order of Aaron. Listen to what he's asking. He's asking, why did Jesus have to come at all? See, if the Levitical priesthood was enough, it should have ended there. And if Melchizedek was better than the Levitical priesthood, then guess what? It should have ended there. But he's saying it wasn't. And so what he says is it was never enough. Because those old ways could never make people perfect. The Levitical priests of the Old Covenant fulfilled their duties faithfully day after day, year after year, century after century. They spent their entire lives administering the sacrifices, following through on the rituals of the Old Covenant. But it wasn't enough. No matter how many bulls or goats they sacrificed, no matter how many thousands of prayers they recited, it could never take away the guilt of our sin. It could never remove the stain of sin on its worshipers. And it could never deal with the issue of the separation that sin caused between us and God. Because if it had, then there would not have been the need for any more priests. If it had fulfilled its duty, there wouldn't have been the need for the sacrifices. I don't want to steal from where we're going to be in a couple weeks, but I need to at least make this point. Listen to what Hebrews chapter 10 verse 4 says. It says, It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And then just a few verses later in chapter 10, in verses 11 to 13, it says, Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices. What does he say? Which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. See, Jesus did for us something that nobody else could do. Jesus removed the stain of sin once and for all. He erased our guilt 
once and for all. He did it by the sacrifice of his own life. And he continues to intercede for us. He continues to pray for us. And scripture says, as a result, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him. But in order to make the point of why Jesus had to come at all, the writer of Hebrews doesn't just say, well, just take my word for it. He says, take God's word for it. He said, believe what God has said, because God has said exactly that this is going to be the case, that Jesus was going to be a better priest. Last week, we read together Psalm 110, verse 4. But I want you to hear it in its entire context. Listen to what it says. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Doesn't that sound like something we just read a moment ago? And then, listen to what he says. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion, saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your troops will be willing on the day of battle, arrayed in holy splendor. Your young men will come to you like dew in the, morning, in the morning's womb. The Lord has sworn that he will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And so what he does is he bolsters his argument. And he does this by sharing with us four different areas in the way in which Jesus is a better high priest. Now, this morning, if you have been following along with Michael Kruger's book, Hebrews for You, uh, we're going to be actually using, he, he does a great job this morning of kind of laying these, these arguments out so that they're easy to understand for us theologically. And so you're going to hear these four main points this morning. Uh, and if you don't have a copy of this book, please make sure you're picking that up. And if you'd like a copy and we, and we don't have any more available, we'll make sure to order them. we still got more Hebrews to go, so it won't be a waste. Notice, this is his first argument. Jesus is from a better tribe. The, the writer of Hebrews says, look, Jesus is from a better tribe. Verses 13 to 14 say, He of whom these things are said belonged to a different tribe, and no one from that tribe has ever served at the altar. For it is clear that our Lord descended from Judah, and in that regard to that tribe, Moses said nothing about the priests. And you have to go back to the book of Genesis. And we have to go back and remember when Jacob gathers his 12 sons around, and each of these sons are one of the tribes of Israel. And the tribe of Levi was not given any land. They were instead scattered amongst the people, and they were given various cities, because what does it say that the Lord God was their inheritance? Their job was to care for the temple, to be musicians, to be craftsmen, to be guardians and officials. The way in which they earned their income was through the giving of tithes to the temple. Now, under the old arrangement, their job was to approach God on behalf of the people of Israel and to intercede. They were the ones 
who were going to offer the sacrifices. They were going to make the ceremonial atonement for the sins of the people. But now, under the new covenant, that was going to be taken over by Jesus Christ. But here's the problem. That role was taken over by a man from the tribe of Judah. Now, for you and me, we're like, well, so what? What's the big deal? You know, that, that he was from Judah as opposed to, to Levi. So for us, it may not seem like a particularly big deal, but you have to remember that the, the people to whom the writer of Hebrews is, is writing and preaching, to them, to the Jewish people, it would have been a huge deal. Remember what we were saying last week. Priests only came from the tribe of Levi. Kings came from the, the kingly line of Judah. And remember what we were saying, that when kings tried to serve as priests, that it was usually disaster that ended up resulting. And so what the writer of Hebrews is saying is that this priest coming from the tribe of Judah is actually better than the fact that he comes from Levi. And he does this in a couple of different ways. He develops this argument. And you have to go back to Genesis chapter 49. Jacob's gathered together all of his sons. And this is what he says to Judah in verse 10. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nations shall be his. What do you think this is talking about? Does it, sound like, does it sound like David to you? Or does it actually sound like Jesus Christ? See, what it's saying is that this scepter and this obedience of the nations actually belongs to Jesus. And by the way, this better king is also going to be a better priest. Listen to what Zechariah chapter 6, verses 13 to 14 say. Tell him, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Here is the man whose name is the branch. And he will branch out from his place and build the temple of the Lord. It is he who will build the temple of the Lord. And he will be clothed with majesty and will sit and rule on his throne. And then what? And he will be a priest on his throne and there will be harmony between the two jesus brings harmony between the priest and the king something that only jesus christ himself could do and there's a second argument <coughs> that we could develop here about the judaic priesthood is better than the Levitical priesthood because the Levitical priesthood is actually based on heaven. Now, I, I want you to think about this. The, the priesthood, the office of priest that the Levites held was patterned after what takes place in the heavenly sanctuary. So listen to what Hebrews 8.5 says. They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy of and a shadow of what is in heaven. 
This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle, see to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. The, the sanctuary in heaven is not built and patterned after the sanctuary on earth. The sanctuary on earth is actually patterned by what's in heaven, where Jesus sits on the throne. And Jesus, who's going to make his dwelling place among the people, what we see is that he is a better king and a better priest. And what was patterned on earth actually is patterned after what takes place in heaven. What he's trying to say is the priesthood that Jesus brings is better. Now, second, it's because Jesus intercedes forever. He intercedes forever. Now, we're not going to spend a lot of time on this. We were, we were talking about this together last week, but notice what verses 15 to 17 say. And what we have said is even more clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears, one who has become a priest not on the basis of regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. For it is declared, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. I know a lot of people who love family genealogy. And, and my guess is that some of you here this morning do as well. It always seems like there is at least one person in every family who loves genealogy. And who does the work on behalf of the entire family. So they'll go to Ancestry.com. They, they will do all of the research. It's fun. It's fun to go back as far as you can and to see, you know, where you came from. I met somebody last week or a couple of weeks ago. They were saying, I, I actually am a descendant of Abraham Lincoln. You're like, no way. That's so cool. The funny thing is, if you go back far enough, it feels like all of us are related to royalty at some point, right? Or we had a rich, you know, Great, great, great grandfather, right? And, and so all of us go back and, and we try to, to find these things upon which we can base our lives. And I want you to understand, this is how it was with the Jewish people. And especially with the people of the priestly line. They would get out their family trees. And they would do the genealogy work. And for the priests, they, they had to get their line back to Aaron. But what the writer of Hebrews is saying is, look, when you do the genealogy of, of Jesus, it comes straight out of heaven, right? And, and this straight line is better because he is a priestly king. He has direct access to God. Christ became a priest not because he descended from a line of priests, but because he possessed in himself something that could not be destroyed. A life that could not be extinguished by death. A life that he now shares with us, both now as well as eternally. Remember what we were saying last week, eventually Aaron died. Eventually all the priests died. And priest after priest had to be replaced. But the scriptures are silent on Melchizedek. 
right? It says, well, it was almost like he had no genealogy. He wasn't born. We don't get a record of him dying. It was almost as if he was eternal. And the writer of Hebrews was trying to say, ah, but Jesus truly is eternal. Yes, Jesus died, but he has risen from the dead. He has, he has displayed and demonstrated in himself the power of an indestructible life. And because of that, he is of the order of Melchizedek. He's better. Verses 23 to 24 drive this point home. They say, now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. And the point that the writer of Hebrews makes is captured when Michael Kruger in our book says this, most people in ancient Israel may not have even put two and two together regarding the problem presented by the priestly system and the fact that priests would die. If the person you are relying on to intercede for you will die, that means that the effectiveness of that intercession has some uncertainty. How can we have eternal security without an eternal representative? And the writer of Hebrews is trying to say, guess what we do? And his name is Jesus Christ. He is permanent and he is eternal. Third, the priest, Jesus' priesthood is certain. His priesthood is certain. Notice what verses 18 to 19 say. The former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless, for the law made nothing perfect. And a better hope has been introduced by which we can draw near to God. Again, what would Hans and Franz say? Yeah, see, it was weak. It was useless. They were nothing but a girly man. Jesus Christ is better, right? I mean, isn't that what he would say? But that's what went through my mind this week. <laughs> Jesus gets you pumped up, right? He gets you to God. That's what they would be saying. And the, the point is this. I think a lot of us live with a lot of uncertainty. We look at our lives, and maybe many of us think that we're a bunch of screw-ups. And maybe we've heard it for so long that maybe we've begun to believe it. We recognize we're not perfect, and so we are afraid to draw near to God. Maybe we think that God is unapproachable. Maybe some of us, we've, we've given our lives over to Jesus, and we still have these recurring sin patterns that happen in our lives. And so we always live with doubt. And we're not really sure if we can truly draw near. We're not really sure that I, I, we have our lives together enough. And the reason we, we have this fear is because we have this guilt that still lives within us. Because we're like, if I've given my life over to Jesus, I shouldn't be struggling with these things anymore. And I do. And so then we think, God, I can't approach you. Maybe, maybe it's the thought patterns of our minds. And it's like, but I'm supposed to have a renewing of my mind according to living in Christ Jesus, and I don't. 
And because I don't, maybe we begin to doubt and fear that we don't really belong to Jesus. And what this passage reminds us of is that Jesus Christ is a better hope. One by which we can draw near to God. It's not grounded in being made perfect by following the law. We're made perfect by following Jesus. Not perfect in terms of living a perfect life, because none of us can live a perfect life. We are all sinners in need of being saved by grace. We are made perfect because of the perfection of Jesus Christ. That is what justification is. And that's what you and I need to rest in and on. When we have those days when we doubt, when we have those days when we worry. And the writer of Hebrews says that we can draw near to God because he says, I will never replace this new covenant that I have made in Christ. He said the old one was useless. And in verses 20 to 22, God says, but this new one? that I'm giving you in Jesus, I am never going to replace it. I am never going to change my mind about it. It is a lifetime guarantee. You know, a lot of us, we, we get lifetime guarantees on things. And then you read the fine print. The truth is, there is no fine print when it comes to the guarantee that we have in Jesus Christ. It's never going to be replaced. God says he is never going to change it. And you can take that to the bank because what God says in his word is true. It is real. And it's what we build our lives upon. And that leads us to this fourth point, that Jesus is the perfect priest. Why is Jesus better? Why is he, he eternal? Why is his priesthood certain? Because he's perfect. Listen to verses 26 to 28. Such a high priest truly meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart for sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once and for all when he sacrificed himself, when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men in all their weaknesses. But the oath which came after the law appointed the Son who has been made perfect forever. Jesus never sinned. He was pure. He was blameless. He was set apart. Other priests had to make sacrifices for their own sins before they could offer sacrifices for the sins of the people. But Jesus never needed to do that. In fact, he didn't make a sacrifice for himself. He became the sacrifice for all people. Something that no other priest could do. And then he fulfilled the law to perfection. 
He lived a perfect life. Something that no other priest or pastor could ever do. And as a result, he is made perfect forever. Listen to what Kruger says as he closes out this chapter. He says, And within that contrast is the heart of the gospel. We are broken, sinful people who are separated from a holy God. And no ordinary priest, no earthly system, no animal sacrifice is enough to bridge that gap. What we need is the perfect Son of God who became a human being to represent us before God as our great high priest forever. Because of his perfect obedience and his indestructible life, we can have great confidence that our sins are forgiven and therefore that we can draw near to God with confidence. With such a Savior available to us, why turn to anything else? Whatever we are tempted to trust in today, other than Jesus, the book of Hebrews bids us to let it go. Only Jesus is sufficient to save. Only he is worthy of our hope and trust. Love people, there is only one way by which we can be perfect enough to draw near to God. And it is Jesus Christ. It is through Jesus Christ that you and I are made perfect, that we can approach God. Because he is perfect, he makes us perfect. Verse 25 says, Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him. Because he always lives to intercede for them. Because of Jesus, we can draw near to God. Not partially. Not until we screw up again. Not until something better comes along. It is completely. Yes, we will have those moments when we fall. Yes, we will have those moments when we fail. When perhaps the enemy whispers into our ear that you are not good enough that you are not strong enough, that you are not perfect enough, but this is where we rest in our king and our priest, that he is able. Let's go back to that. Can we say this together? Let's, let's recite this together. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Friends, if you have never come completely to God through Jesus Christ, do not leave this place today 
without making that commitment and saying, Jesus, I know you are interceding for me before the Father, and I thank you for that. And if you feel today as though perhaps there is something in your life that is keeping you from feeling like you can approach the throne of God with confidence, know that you can always give it back over to Jesus because you know that he is always living to intercede for you because he loves you, because he is your king, and because he is your priest. Let's pray together. Lord, you are a good and faithful high priest. God, that when we are weak, you are strong. God, that you are, have given a better way, a better way by which we may access you. Lord, this morning, we hold to the truth that it is all about Jesus Christ. Lord, may we rest in your love and in your grace. May we build our lives on that firm foundation of Jesus Christ and his love for us, who was willing to become the perfect sacrifice. But that because you have an indestructible life, you were able to rise again from the dead. And that, Lord Jesus, you are interceding for us before the Father above. God, we pray that this would be a day where we know that truly for the first time or where we are reminded once again of these old truths that perhaps we have held on to but long forgotten. Lord Jesus, may we rest in you today and know that we can approach the throne of God with confidence because of Jesus Christ, our King and our priest. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. If you were encouraged by this message, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you enjoy your podcast listening, and check out our other discussions and messages. To learn more about Warsaw Evangelical Presbyterian Church's worship services, ministries, and events, visit us online at warsawpresby.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you again for joining us, and have a blessed day.